out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Hello out and welcome. We this is the C86 show. I'm David Eastor. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the singer-songwriter and very creative person. It is the one and only Rachel Mayfield, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love and poetry and everything else. She was originally in a band titled Delicious Monster and has gone on to do lots of solo projects and work. And she has got new material that is out and about, so you can find a lot of that on her website, which is rachelmayfield.com, and also on Spotify as well. But anyway, this is the interview. You'll find out more about all those projects in a very short time. So after several minutes of casual but interesting chat, we got down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Rachel, take it away. I think I, think I did. Um, it was... Um... I think I always had a sort of, uh, I was aware of not wanting to sound like anybody else. I was aware of um, listening for a particular reason rather than just enjoyment of music yeah. from a very early age, which is a bit weird, but, yeah. you know. So raiding the record collections in the house. and I mean, I was impressed by things like um, uh, Nina Simone or and my dad's jazz collection and... Um, sort of the balladeering of my mom's collection, um, strange things like the carpenters. and But they all seemed quite wistful. And that, for me, it wasn't the music that I was attaching myself to. It was um, just an impression of a kind of intention behind the reason that they were needing to sing it. Mm. And that's, uh, yeah. And then, so I was sort of drifting through their record collections, sort of, um, listening away and dreaming away and playing chords and learning how to play things. And then I was taken on a night out by um, a boyfriend, a friend of my, a boyfriend of mine, and we were taken to a nightclub in Birmingham. And the band were the Violent Femmes. Oh wow! Yeah, right. and it was a really rough joint, and they weren't famous or anything. It was in Digbeth somewhere. I can't, I can't remember where. They were, well, they weren't famous to me. I didn't know. I guess they got like a, a sort of a cult following. And I was in the audience, and they just started this incredible bashing about in this sensual madness. And they actually came off stage as well and walked through the audience and just played through the audience. And and I just, I just felt, yeah. The, the candle was lit. The, the light was switched on. Yes, my God, it was. It was kind of, yeah. That's quite interesting when you get that edgy moment in life, isn't it? What venue was <laughs> that? Was that Barbarella's or was that a smaller venue? I, you know, I wish I knew, David, but it was. It was definitely Bradford Street, round round about that area. Right. And it was all black. And but it, that was the thing about me, though. I didn't. I kind of by then had total tunnel vision. I. You know, I was going from one music, one gig to another, listening to music all the time, just going into a rehearsal room. I, I didn't, I was quite spaced out for quite quite a few years with my obsession with music. So I, details like that, I, did, I didn't really look into. No, blimey. Well, it's interesting you mentioned The Carpenters, because actually that was another one of my first loves. No. Um, yeah, I really adored The Carpenters. I think my parents, I mean, coming from kind of a very working class background, 
Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, when they got kind of married, I suppose, in the late 50s, it was that kind of world, you know, it was in sort of East Anglia, where uh, people never borrowed money. They just, you know, save and then oh, you yeah. know, buy. And um, yeah. they just had sold all their kind of record collection and my dad's, you know, record players. So they didn't really have much. They they built, you know, had this little house bungalow built. And then sort of in oh. the 60s, you know, they just had the radio and a bit of a telly, I think. And then we got a record player and they only had a couple of records records at that stage but it was the the Carpenters and the Roger Whittaker album which I loved the Roger Whittaker album as well and um, yeah funny enough yes there's quite a few people have mentioned Roger Whittaker as well from the same yeah. age but the Carpenters yes so I thought their lyrics were just stunning and I was really young at the time but there was all this kind of like melancholia and sort of absolutely and loneliness and yeah I say goodbye to love no one seems to care if I should live or die yeah absolutely it was just heavy I thought if you liked the Carpenters when you were young you're bound to like Joy Division and the Smiths later on in life because it was just all yeah sort of yeah just wanting to find someone and then not there was Elkie Brooks as well yes fool if you think it's over do you remember that song yeah, and then there was people like <laughs> Harry. Yeah, but there was all those songs like Harry Nilsson's "I Can't Live If Living Is Without yeah. You" and yeah, "Seasons in the Sun," which was all this kind of thing about kind of living and dying, and it all just you know. And you'd listen to this on the on the radio on the, you know on the school bus every morning, and I, I think it just had a massive impression on your mind. Because... Oh, it did. Because in one ear, I've got sort of experimental jazz from my father. And in the other ear was my mom, my mom's ballads, you know, the Carpenters, Elkie Brooks, all these, you know, this, yeah, these singers. And the two married actually really well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think, think that's what led to me creating my own sound, to be honest. But did but, you have any brothers or sisters that gave you any influence? Yeah. And he, like an older brother, David, who's named David as well. And he was, uh, I remember he brought home that single and frigging in the rigging. And my mom took him to the shop to take it back. That's Sex weird. Pistols. Right, blimey. Yes, that was, that was <laughs> just... Yeah, so he had... Yes, that was a, that was an interesting single to play. I actually yeah, so know it, that song, but I'm not surprised because it doesn't, you know... It's, I think it was a B-side on a sec, one of the Sex Pistols' uh, a seven-inch single. Yeah, I think... I think it, they they yeah. have forgotten if that was one of their best songs when it really... <laughs> it would have been... I think they did an album after that one, you know, Never Mind the Bollocks. They did one called Flogging a Dead Horse that seemed to have some sort of dodgy records <laughs> and dodgy B-sides on, didn't they? Which, And covers of things like The Monkeys, um, I'm Not Your Stepping Stone. So I think that was written by Paul Simon as well. Who knows? I don't know. It's I don't know. But my brother had great taste. He knew all the Mod Soul punk records. And it, I, knew, I knew it was an articulate record collection, but I was just somewhere lost in feeling and intention and sort of followed that in extremes. Yes. So Birmingham, because because obviously, you know, you've got this amazing musical heritage. And I don't know if you saw the film about Robert Lloyd and the Nightingales, King Rocker, which was kind of... Naughty me, I haven't yet. Yeah, no. He did, he did quite... He did talk about me in an interview a couple of weeks ago, which was very nice of him. Oh, nice. That's so Yeah. Yeah, he said um, how much he liked the band and he wants to know what I'm up to now and... Yeah, but someone heard it and wrote to me and told me about it. But um, it's strange. Like, I've been back in Birmingham since 2015, and I think we were even signed on the same record label for a short while, but 
we've not we've not crossed paths yet and I haven't seen the film. So but I quite like that because we might just meet at the right time and have just loads of fun, you know, have a good chat and it's the right time. I might have been a bit shyer than when I you know, I don't I don't know what it is. Yes, I was shy of everybody then <laughs> in my younger days, really. Oh, so, uh, well, it's, quite, it's quite easy to be intimidated and think everyone's really cool, isn't it, really? Oh, gosh, you, yeah. You had the Nightingales, and then during that period, then there was the, there was the beat and the, the mod scene. But then later on, there was all those other bands like We've Got a Fuzz Box and We're Going to Use It, which I loved, and then Terry and Jerry. So then you had this kind of great indie world that had sort of blossomed up, blossomed. We did. It was strange, though, because you, you mentioned um, the beat there, but it was actually Rankin Roger was one of my early supporters, but just in a really random way, he actually um, heard my voice and kept in a studio I was rehearsing in. And um, we sort of, he actually wrote a song about me. He supported my songwriting, that kind of thing. I was, he was um, like a mentor for a short while. Blimey. And we didn't really mention the beat or anything, you know. Um, and at that time, the bands that I was in contact with was... Um, kind of like the wonder stuff you know and uh like miles came up to the studio and like played songs and i knew russ from uh his brother and wow so yeah that was kind of my my um that's about as local as it got and there, there were lots of other um the wild and wondering i think they record that weren't they beforehand and then of course pop lease itself yeah i started being invited to their gigs and you know going yeah I think it was, um, I don't know if the Grebo scene had sort of, was from, you know, sort of touched. No, it wasn't. It's funny because it was, it was, it was more Stourbridge, but yeah, in the same, in the same way that, and I, I, you know, I, I didn't set out to be part of anything. The whole, none of us in the band did. In fact, we were quite separate to what everyone else was up to, but um, it's, it's strange how the Stourbridge kind of, Rankin Roger and Stourbridge guys, they kind of, were there for us but also when when we were a little bit more established as time went on it was it was kind of swayed and Boo Radley's who picked us up and helped us and got us gigs in London you know it was never we weren't actually part of a Birmingham scene right yes because there was a compilation that came out probably this year called Unseen it was titled but this is probably post Birmingham 1978 to 1980. That has lots of people like the prefects who were. Prefects. Oh, I think that's that Dave Twist, Dave Twist's thing. I think the name Dave Twist does ring a huge bell, actually. Yes. Okay. And, there's, and there's oh the au pairs, the cult figures, Nikki Sudden, who was um love here. Yeah. Oh, and Nikki. Sorry, I'm thinking of um the other guy. What's his name? Dave. Dave Cosworth. That's the one, yeah. Lovely guy, such a great songwriter. So there was that whole scene, and I think a bit further out, there was people like the very things and the photos as well, but my geography could be terrible at this stage. No, I think you're absolutely right. It was just all, um, I knew nothing about it, really, at at the time. And um, So then, did you, I mean, because obviously, yeah. So so (laughs) as, as I sort of gave away... So I'm not going to ask your age, but then I mean, did you? Did you <laughs> I started sort of, young. That's it. That, yeah. So, so you know, for me, you know, we had the great sort of uh, '79 
Thatcher gets in, the early 80s, huge amounts of unemployment for lots of people. And then when there was the Falkland War and the, the sort of miners' strike in Greenham Common. And then sort of 83, the sort of the Smiths come along, who were a huge band for me. So like there's five years is sort of yeah. 87, the Smiths. And then those other bands, some of them that you mentioned, are starting to sort of appear towards the late 80s and then early, early 90s. So were you, was this your kind of, the, was the late 80s your sort of, period where you were beginning to um I don't know leave home or something drastic no it was actually I think I was fortunate that the band the members of the band they were influenced by by those bands you know the guitarist yeah um particularly the bassist Hock he was um it's seen the Smiths live and and was it changed his life it was lovely. and uh yeah the guitarist uh, the drummer as well he he was a mad Smith's guy, and that, but the guitarist was into sort of um, punk first, and talk talk, and um, yeah, pink a little bit of Pink Floyd. I think he was never allowed to bring that in, but, no, that's, <laughs> but uh... we all went through the dark side of the phase, didn't we? And wish you were here because it was also romantically melancholic. <laughs> no, I mean we were quite a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> People, I mean, this is what happened with the press when we, uh, or and, and and the people who were listening. You know, they, there was always that question: Well, who are you influ influenced by? And I, for me, I wasn't influenced by music. I was influenced by how I felt. You know, and you know, I was a lyricist, and I, I taught myself to play guitar quite badly. I don't consider myself a guitarist. I just use, you know, like a lead guitarist, and I just use it to put the song across. And yeah. um, I literally just. I loved um, sort of that sonic ideal of, of sort of obliterating feelings. So I would sing them out in the verse and then and then extend the feeling through getting real loud and heavy, you know, in the song whenever we needed to. And I never, but because they, they were obviously very skillful at, at their instrument, they probably would have had to have listened to bands to, you know, to get to develop that skill. They probably played along and... You know that's how they learn, but with lyrics, you know, they, they this. I mean, I was very. It was it was an internal thing, yeah. and that's why when when I was asked political questions and sort of social questions, I I couldn't pretend I knew the answers because you know every I was in, I was informed by what I was feeling, not what was going on outside of me. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. I know it's it's uh, it's a strange one, isn't it? I remember, yeah, a totally different sub, you know, kind of person. But I remember George Best, who was that Man United player, sort of being asked yeah. political things, and he was like, "Well, actually, I'm quite young, and I only play football, and I don't." Oh, I love that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, that's did. just exact. That summed it up. It really you know, did. Like, I don't know the Middle East, you know, crisis, and I don't know <laughs> all, all the history of it. <laughs> I'm only sort of like 19, and uh, I've just come from Belfast, and you know, yeah, I'm, having, exactly. I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm having a bit of an issue with my landlady at the moment. And dealing oh, I love it. So it's it's kind That's of it so is me. It's a bit mean, isn't it? Because I know, bizarrely, it was Roger Waters from Pink Floyd. I listened to an interview that he did very recently, but he is yeah. 78. And, you know, he's really into world politics, but you are, you know, he's 78 at this stage and that's his thing, his politics. And perhaps if we all get that old, we all might get, you know, obsessed about that or not. Well, I don't know. I'm, 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 current, I'm, 
I like that. I mean, in a way, like with Truth to Material, the new album, I'm, this is the first time that I've gone out of myself to meet other people and the songs were about things outside of me. And I am ready for that. You know, I've, I've, I've learned how to be less socially awkward. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in people genuinely. You know, it's not, it's not a construct. And I just think, oh, I'm really happy. I'm ready for that, you know. And, but, but then in the 90s, it, was, it wasn't like that. No. Just, I, I mean, I was just, it was hard enough to be from Birmingham where to create a sense of um, like mythical reality was in itself like gargantuan, you know. I mean, you know, I come from like Great Bar, Perry Bar, Great Bar in Birmingham, I'm, you know, it's, and it's not exactly pretty, you know, but in my head I saw carnival everywhere, you know, and I had things I needed to achieve and. I couldn't buy the things I want. I needed. I would would a lot. I couldn't like just go shopping and make this magical world. You know, I was living on a. I was on the dole, and you know, like studying and trying to look for work. And who do I want to be? And and then I realised that it's different for a, a girl. And it, it was, you know, it's like because like like some like local newspapers would go. It's nice music, but what is it? What are they? We don't get it. You don't get girls at the front with guitars. You know. Well, you know, we didn't. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because even yeah. even then, in the early nineties, that's still kind of a bit unusual. <laughs> yeah, it was emerging, exciting. And, and with all those bands that were just all women, I think you know the music press just you know sometimes just imploded with like confusion, like what's happening? This is too. This yeah, is, and that was quite boyish, wasn't I? So. Yeah, so um, it's kind of a. It was. It did take a long time. I mean, I, I sort of find it still boggling that women weren't allowed to do the marathon or doing lots of sporting events, even in the sort of 60s and 70s. And, you know, yeah. it's like, yes, but, you know, I'm not sure if they can. It's like, I'm not sure why they... <laughs> oh, I so agree. And likewise, you know, for the guys, like, there was never any misogyny in the band. It was just totally normal for them and, and enjoyable for them to sort of go, yeah, we love her voice, we like working with her. You know, there was no... You know, for them, it was probably... They were probably expected to to be more macho, to have a guy guy on the you know whatever. Yeah. But um, and you know I think it might have been quite difficult for them to think what you're working for a girl, you know, because it, it wasn't like that. But that's how people perceive things, you know. But I, I was a driving that, force, that and point, that's it. There was, there was that kind of there was a rise, wasn't there, of people like the Cranberries, and then there was um, yeah, Slipper, yeah. and then a, to an extent Elastica as well. So there was a kind of a, a real kind of starting to change. But then in the eighties, there was kind of there was things like everything but the girl and the Cocteau Twins, and then you know people like My Bloody Valentine and Sil, a band called Silk yes. and the Faith Healers. So they were sort of kind of changing, but it did. I think there was still that kind of. They, on the other side, they still had hair metal, didn't we? We still had all that kind of macho MTV, big kind of videos, Guns N' Roses, Bon Jovi. So it was still, you know, yeah. and, the, and the videos of David uh, Coverdale, which are still quite weird to watch for more than 10 seconds. <laughs> it's just too weird. It's like, oh, my God, what happened? <laughs> the hair, the kind of the draping bikini-clad woman on a, some sort of, you know, Sports. Yeah, was, and um, I had some great friends who were doing great rock bands and stuff. But yeah, for some reason, I cut all my hair off, and you know, it was short, and I was with boys, and I wore a tie, and, and you know, it was all like sometimes I wore a tie; it didn't really suit me. But it, you know, a suit jacket, black. It was just it happened naturally, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's a good. Yeah, we were we were how moving. Did the, how did the band get together? How did you all form? <laughs> 
Well, I, we, I met at school, so like the guitarist was older than me, but at school, and then um, like he left school, then I left school, and um, did you all leave at sixteen, or did you just stay on? Yeah, yeah, we're all sort of absolute no no academic education at all. We we're sort of re like we were different. Like I was. Um, you know, there are lots of books in that. I used to help myself to books and records and, you know, I was very inquisitive, but very sort of insular person, like private person. And um, I found I had it like a pen, like I was good at poetry. You know, I was definitely on the way through English and all that. But I had terrible trouble at school. I was um, not expelled, but, you know, I had to leave and, you know, I was I had little sort of... Um, struggles I, I didn't know I was dyslexic all of these kind of things right um yeah so going home and playing the guitar was just so so nice for me you know and just like forming words in a really short way and having having them have an effect was actually very th therapeutic and then so the guitarist uh left before me and then we had a couple of years just floating around and doing what we were doing separately we lost touch a little bit and then completely. And then we went out one sunny day in Birmingham, went to the Oasis Market, and I saw his best friend who said, oh, my God, I haven't seen you for two years. What are you up to? And I said, well, I've been writing some of these lyrics and everything. He said, oh, you should see uh, Mark again. He's been learning to play guitar. I went, oh, really? He went, oh, honestly, yeah. So he brought us back together, and we met, and it was like, wow, you you and he was like living like he'd become an animal activist, was living in his bedroom, eating like drinking beans out of a tin and, you know, like playing guitar every day, like a mad obsessive. But, but like, the, the, anyway, the headline is we were both total geeks. Right. And we were both like just dead, like nothing interested us but music. And he, he wasn't interested in lyrics. I was obsessed with lyrics. And we started that, yeah, we, we just never left each other's side then. For so four years, a, he was a hunt saboteur. Yeah, excellent. This is very political, isn't it? Yeah, so it was something that I remember a lot of people in the 80s and sort of into the 90s stayed. I think you could do it when you're quite young, as you get older, it's a bit hard work, actually, isn't it? I lost you there a little bit, David. Oh, yeah, I said it's something that you can, you can, I not everyone, but quite a lot of people can't keep that life going as you get older. It's quite a physical game, isn't it? The eat, well, it's not a game, but the hunt sap is quite a, a you've got to be quick, haven't you? You've got to be nimble, you've got to be able to, yeah, we... quite quickly. Yeah, we both changed the way we're anim animal um, activists, but we both still are, but just in different ways. And, we, I mean, we don't hang out anymore, by the way. Um, but, yeah, I I've spent all summer playing, um, just playing festivals that support organic farming and animal welfare and all this kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's still a big part of my life. Fantastic. I know. Thank we, you. We, we, no, no, well, I sort of, you know, becoming a vegetarian in the 80s seemed to be a big thing and <laughs> one got slightly abused for it for various reasons. I don't know why. Yeah. And then sort of, you know, people felt threatened as well. It was a really strange thing. And then you get insulted about your sort of, I don't know, about everything really being a being a. We do boy. anyway. But, so um, true. Yes, yeah, it's still a bit, you know, but it's not as bad as it was. I remember when I know Morrissey is a bit of a tricky character now, but in the in the eighties yeah. he was wonderful, and I remember him being a vegetarian and being very straight with it. And uh, 
you know, people hated him for it. Just, you know, it just messed yeah. up the status quo. It was like, you know, that's, we, you know, we like you all being individual, but we don't want you to be that individual and sort of go against what we're all doing, which is... Yeah, it's fear. It's fear. It's economic fear and and this fear of, like, would, will I do it good enough? What am I going to do? How do I do it? And, you know, and I just... I just heard this thing where it's like when you eat an animal, you eat its pain, and mm-hmm. you know I just believed it. And um, and and anyway, it's it's live and let live. But I don't I don't get any stick for it. I think just because I talk about just my own experience with it, really. Yes, but. well, it's 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 good. And you, so so that's good. But then, how did the you know the first album? This is this came out <laughs> sort of ninety two, didn't it? Which was quite. Oh, the album was that. Was it, was it 92? I thought it was 94. I think the uh, single started coming out. But, yeah, I don't, I'm not a big dates person, but, yeah, it did become really, really exciting suddenly. And I think I think it's because we just played loads and loads of shows. And then um, it's, it's like a groundswell, you know, just felt lifted up by the, by the enthusiasm of everybody. So were you playing a lot of dates kind of in your neighbourhood or were you being... Yeah. Yeah, like we were just... We'd just play it, yeah, anywhere. Like places like the City Tavern, the Jugger Vale. Um, I think we played the Flapper a couple of times. The Jugger Vale's not there anymore, but it was a great place, really just well-known. a music venue upstairs, yeah. the City Tavern, yeah. And um, we just play anywhere, really. Yeah. We rehearsed all the time. And did it? Did the sound come together quite easily, so to speak? I think I think I was always really fussy about um, that had to be the right drummer. You know, I, I, th- I think drummers are really important, as in they're like songwriters. You know, you get drummers play a beat, but you get like songwriter drummers, yeah. and without 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 them, you know, it's just not the same. And you know, I'm really into the band. I was particularly then. I was into the band idea, but. Well, Mark and I worked for quite a few years just on our own, doing a few acoustic shows and writing and writing and writing. And then, um, so I think in that sense, we knew we had something. But then, like, when the bassist just literally walked up the stairs of the rehearsal room where we were at, and he was just stunningly, like, you know, a stunning person, like, in every sense. And um, he, when he joined, there was an edge to it. Right. And then we rehearsed just three of us for a long time. And then and then we met the drummer, that particular drummer. I mean, I was quite, I was known to be quite, I mean, the, I think like words like commercially viable and all that, I just didn't want to know. And, you know, it just had to be the right sound. It just, um, but then St- uh, Steve, the drummer, was in lots of other bands uh, locally. And then he just decided he wanted to jump on board with us. Right. And I, I think it was literally weeks. And then, like within a year, we were signed. We had our first record contract after that because it was just obvious that we were just. You, you, you would have had to have captured us then. It was just very, very exciting. So it needed to be then. I, did, I I'm not at all surprised that it was short lived because it was. It was difficult being in the band, but also sounded great. It was very exciting. I look back and think how how were we so accomplished? You know, it was just yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you because this was on Flute Records, wasn't it? Oh yeah, eventually we we signed to Flute. Yeah, they were nice. I've never come across Flute Records. That's a terrible thing to admit on air. But no, it's okay because you they weren't they weren't 
they weren't a record label they actually formed for us right that's because it was beachwood music who put out the john peel sessions and the um indie top 40 albums and lots of cool stuff i think um al green as well i think i was on the same same label as Al Green, weirdly. So it was actually Beachwood Music. Fantastic, because they, they used to do some really amazing compilations, didn't they? Yeah, they're brilliant, lovely people. I really liked them. I mean, we had loads of people came to the gigs and everything, but because of my sort of wariness of people in general, I, I, I'd like, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, the, the, there were some incredible people that wanted to sort of sign the band and very influential. But yeah. I just liked that they were quite, personable and new they were um willing to start something new and we were new so yeah so john you got the john peel session yeah no they they put out john Pe- john peel did champion us we're very very lucky to have that but um he liked us before flute had put he flute records actually sorry beachwood music put out the john peel sessions right on uh yeah on their label I got you, but then, but you didn't do a John Peel session. Not in the studio, no. He just used to play. Yeah, I think we we didn't. We could have, but we didn't. If you know what I mean. Did he play the uh, songs? Is it Snuggle? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. My God, that's amazing! You must have thought this is it. We're going to make it. No, he said that. I I didn't. That's really strange. I was never in that bubble. I just had just carried on with what's right in front of me. And I mean, I like literally one morning, hope the basis brought the paper. I was glad to see that. I said, What is it? I said, That's you. That's that's you in the paper. You know, it was the enemy or whatever in the big picture. I was like, Really? Is that what, what happened? Is that what's meant to happen? And I know that sounds incredibly naive, but I really, it wasn't like it is now where people are careerists in, in, in media and music. You know, I was just in Mosley and walking around and, you know, doing gigs and just very ordinary, normal girl, you know, and just we just happened to rehearse a lot. Yes. Did you um did you get to tour much of the country? Yeah, we did we did do a lot. But um I mean, you know, we could do everything from um sold out shows to we went to Scotland once and there was literally one person in the audience. But we still played a full set for them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so interesting because I did an interview with Miles Davis. No, Miles Copeland, not Miles Davis. I think that's yeah. You're, you're, yeah. So he managed the police and he did lots of other things. But he, his brother was the drummer of the police. But he said that the the gig that made them was when they played in front of four people in America <gasps> once, and it was like there was one person who was really important who was watching. <gasps> Oh, really? This band is quite good, isn't it? So uh, it's, um, yeah, wow. it's quite interesting. So you never know. You've got to, you've got to do it. It's just respect, isn't it, really? So, it's, um, oh, gosh, absolutely. We made his day. We you know, talked to him after and it's lovely. I mean, I should mention that we did have a really good manager, though. His name was John Glennon, which is like a strange name. And he, he was from Ireland and... Um, Really, if it wasn't for him, I mean, he just, he was, he'd got a day job and stuff, but he saw the band and really loved the band. And he was responsible for introducing labels to us and agents. And we had a huge agent. I mean, we started on flute and started with John Glennon and then 
Then we moved on to Leighton Pope organisation. All got bigger, you know, and then we had the same management as Lush and it was going bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's that we started to lose control of it then. And um, I think that's when we got it all got a little bit of anxiety. Yes, my God. So, so at this stage, the album comes out about 93, 94, isn't it? Yeah. It pops about to explode. We're in the John Major years, which is fascinating. <laughs> but things are growing. Everything seems a bit more optimistic, doesn't it? Or there's lots more money starting to float around, not necessarily mm. in my direction. But, I mean, it, it, things, things are changing. Did you, did you kind of feel a kind of excitement with the band? Did you think, oh, this is it? Because, you know, you mentioned Lush. You had started in sort of 88, 89 and were, you know, were starting to get big. I just wondered if you were feeling you were going to be part of this kind of musical zeitgeist. Well, I think what was lovely were things like Brett uh, from Suede, you know, putting a word in with us for the press and coming to the shows and was just standing at the bar watching us. And, you know, and I did, we did meet everybody and we realised, I started to realise um, that, just about, I mean, I never really had a sense of fame or being movements or, you know, I was very much into the music. I, I really was, you know, but I, the, what, what happened was I thought that this was normal life. You know, this just is how it is. So I became this sort of entity, this person who just, I just lived in that kind of rock and roll sphere, you know, in that mm. music sphere and, and, that was my life, my friends, the people I knew. It was normal. I hadn't known anything else. And um, so the life was right for me. It was exciting. But then but then I also started to see, of course, another side to it, that, you know, people people can be very, like, their, your well-being isn't necessarily, you know, their priority as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It can be. So when when did you sort of feel the cracks were sort of beginning to appear with the band or your feelings of wanting to be part of that project? Well, um, well, the, the, the basis was my boyfriend. I don't know if you know that, but we were, no. we were in a, yeah, we were in a, a relationship. Is that Huck? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm really pleased that we were because... Um, you know, I would have felt very isolated because life, there was a lot of sunnies. It, I mean, it, it's not pressure, but it's certainly, it's 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 a big sea change when you're, you're asked for your opinion on lots of things. And also critics are quite brilliant. You know, they ask you a lot of questions like you you know yourself I mean this is this is what you're doing now and so but if and if you're not prepared and you've only read songs and um it's your first outing to be an interesting person it's quite scary you know and because they only ever wanted to talk to me yeah. and um so it's quite quite busy I would imagine. And, I think yeah. it's quite different because as you get older it's so much different because you've got that kind of history and you've got the some sort of ups and downs. I've lived just, now, yeah. <laughs> you just don't have that when you're 18. I've lived. I mean, you can have a kind of youthful <laughs> enthusiasm and arrogance, which can be helpful, but you don't Definitely have that. Definitely have kind that. Of, you kind of had to know the cynicism or the heartbreak, you know, to um to balance. Exactly. It. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not a cynical person anyway by nature, and I think that that was kind of a requirement for the era. And I used to, you know, I was feisty, but, um, yeah, I used yeah. to just say, look, listen to the songs, you know, I mean, Power Missy, I mean, I was trying to, I'd noticed it was harder to, it was about 
finding my place in the world and the and the sort of blocks to achieving that maybe and changing things. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I mean, the work. The, the, I guess so. I was in a relationship with the bassist, and it was it was all still fine. But then um, I think members of the bands had people who didn't want them to be in a band anymore because, you know, band members get girlfriends and this kind of thing. And so, you know, there was pressure, relationship pressure all around. So I decided just to um, go and live in Amsterdam, actually, and write some new songs. I didn't consider it the end. Um, but we just never got around to making the second album. Blimey. Yeah. You, you never had that moment where you all sat down or... or no. And just no, said, not at all. Let's call yeah. it quits. You just <laughs> no, never, you just, it just drifted. Well, was, we, were, we were tired. You know, we'd worked solidly rehearsing without a break. Then the the thing happened, you know, and then we were sort of... So it was non-stop, non-stop. And I... The record label had asked for a second album because obviously it was doing really well and everything. And we said, we've got these demos that they were great songs, but they weren't new songs. And I was very fussy about, um, and I still am to the day, and I've had huge breaks um, on purpose because I like to collect images and write from that. I like to actually live because then what's the point in art if it's not, you know... um, well, from a sense from a sense of experience, so I said, "Look, it's not really interesting to just put something out and about what you know. I need to go away and think about it, and go for a walk, go for a long walk in Amsterdam." Yes. And so I went, and I got an agent there, and he, he was there. He worked at the Paradiso. Dutch guy Ben Kantsma, he was fantastic. We played there with like Blur and other other bands and stuff before. And uh, we, we were big over there. So literally, I mean, we had a bit of record company money and this just a bit. But when I went to Amsterdam, I was getting paid real money, you know, and I needed it. And when I went over to Amsterdam, I was getting literally, like, paid every night. And I literally played most nights. As a Acoustic solo gigs. artist? Oh, as an Yeah, solo, solo artist. And then uh, the guitarist and Delicious Monster joined me, which was great. And then, um, yeah, then I had a massive sort of um, personal experience. And I just, I just never got around to making another delicious monster album, really. Blimey! So that was it. Your, <laughs> your solo career started with Transports of Delight. Yes. Well, gosh, you've done your research. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, no, God, I've been listening to your music. So it's like, um, wow. So I'm, gosh. Yeah. So. So that just sputters, but you and so how long do you stand spend in Amsterdam? Amsterdam? Oh wow, it was such an exciting experience, though, David. I mean, you see, I completely on sort of like the cloud of unknowing. Don't you further that I just restarted myself because I only knew this young girl from Great Bar had tons of family pressure, like you know, just stuff that happens, a bit of trauma, a bit of a story, and all of that. And I was like fighting to sort of stay ahead and do music. I only knew, like, Birmingham Great Bar, you know, yes. in the city centre and Mosley and everything that entails. Uh, but when I went to Amsterdam, it was just, um, I met people from all over the world. I'd stay awake in coffee bars till, you know, t- all night, two in the morning. I could just, I just disappeared into the life. 
I also sort of, yeah, I also looked at what my identity was, sexuality, identity, all of those things. You became Bohemian, didn't you? I did. I just went. But don't you think Amsterdam's got that kind of atmosphere? It's the sort of, it encourages a kind of, a sense of self, a freedom in a sense, exploration. There's a lot of trade happened there over centuries. It's very, very uniquely interesting. But that's where I was getting my inspiration from. But we were still partly delicious monster, you know. When you say we, do you mean yourself? Well, we were Mark, Mark who's now called Joseph. He changed his name. Um, so he deep... came to Amsterdam with you? Yeah, he eventually came to Amsterdam with me and we did duets. Right. Yeah, the two of us, sorry. So he played guitar and we were sort of... So we did, um, yeah, we got picked up by a management company over there yeah. as soon as we were there. Because I know there's a big squat scene in, in Amsterdam. Oh, you are so spot on. So we played there, there all the squat scene. The, the, um, the ex, who everyone loves, the ex in Amsterdam. Yeah, that's right. And um, I know they're all part of that anarcho Punk, yes. punk scene that um, we kind of had all these connections with people in the UK like Chumbawamba and yeah, all those kind of bands. You, that, yeah, you would go through you know this kind of this band, I suppose, because they were just such a important collective. So uh, and community, I suppose there was a sense of yes. community as well. It was a lot of people turning up there to be part of that scene. Well, you're absolutely right. I never felt. Um... That I was, my priority was to keep a record contract or anything. I felt a duty in a way to sort of have a lived experience and share that, you know. And so I went into this adventure because the adventure appeared before me. And we did, we played all the squat venues, we were part of collectives. And it, what was really beautiful was at one stage we played everywhere. Jeff, Jeff Brooklyn had played there the night before. Wow. Yeah. That is so cool. I swear to you, I could still feel him in the air. One of them was a church, um, a squatted church. So, yeah, but but Mark and I did go our separate ways, though. So half the album, Transports of Delight, was half with Delicious Monster, and then I was kind of left to my own devices and did half on my own. And Yeah, and that's when I had sort of big... A big life change after Transports of Delight. Well, I'm not surprised. So when did you start writing and recording it? And, and and when did it come out? Was it quite recently? It came out recently because um, I got involved with Iron Man Records and I, I wanted to put Truth to Material on a, a Birmingham label or certainly a label that was had a Birmingham influence. I mean, they're not a Birmingham label, but but he's and um he suggested that I go right back and re-release and make available everything from then. So yeah, so Transports of Delight came out. And I think I think I love to tell that story because I really want artists people to just trust in time yeah. in a way, or the meaningless of it meaninglessness of it. Is that the right way to say it? But just nearly yes i think you, <laughs> <laughs> you kind of it's one of those words afterwards if you were doing a speech you think that i really must change that because i'm gonna 
you know, that moment, you can kind of say it in a pub with a friend, but, you know, if you were to do a speech, you'd think, that word's going to trip me up. I know it's going to be a disaster, isn't it, really? It's too, it's like, oh, you could get stuck there, couldn't you, forever. But anyway, we were fine. We, we, you said it beautifully. But, Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God, that's, ama- that's an amazing kind of period of time and work mm. and kind of different states. I just wondered how it felt because most artists, not most, but, you know, there is a kind of like a kind of a general time period. So yeah. They're in a state where they can relate to that. And then years later, they might go, God, that's that's not me anymore. But I can I can see that. Whereas this is kind of a, a kind of a much bigger part of your life, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it's fluid. Yeah. So it must just... feel quite. Does it feel strange when you listen to the album? Thinking, God, yeah. That I... that period and that was this period and this was going on then and that was going on later. It's a good question because, to be honest, I did kind of deny that album a little bit for a while um, because it felt um, like it was, well, it was a patchwork. It was a carnival of dark nights and a sort of, and then I actually came back and worked with a fantastic drummer called Mark Mark Morgan who um, brought in, um, you know, the guitar, added the musicians, brought the musicians around it. And yeah, he was half of the half on the recordings of that. And I do know that I did change as a person. And um, but I thought, no, again, don't try and control it. Let it let it be. Let people yeah. make up their own mind with it. Yeah, it's a beautiful album. But then, Gosh, thank and you. then, and then, sort of, you you followed this up with the the new release, which is Winters of Winter of Desire. This is this mm. one that was kind of written this decade the early what we've had of this decade was that material that you also had previously no what happened was like when I came back from truth from the transports of delight period I decided to move to London because um yeah there were several major labels interested in me at that time and but as a solo artist you know they didn't want I know it sounds cool but I'm going to say it because it wasn't me that was saying it but they didn't want me to work with the guitarist or any of the musicians I was with right they had a a vision for me which at that time I didn't really appreciate but I can see it now because if you're something artistic about being an A&R person as well but they just wanted to be like well one of them was um had A&R Blondie and I think Kathy Dennis wow yeah that singer and she's from Norwich Oh, is she? Yeah. I love her. I liked yeah. her actually. I like her. I think she found that whole stardom thing was all. So she just became a writer, didn't she? She sort of exactly. Like, yeah. This is doing. Yeah. Funny. I'm just going to write. Oh, look, Kylie Minogue. No, I won't even have to work. Wow. So, um... <laughs> Don't you? Do, I just admire that so much. Do you? Amazing. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's made life a bit easier. So yes, I haven't had to do that kind of. Did that? Did that sort of? I mean, I think with most people, you kind of the whole world becomes such a weird thing when you become this artist and you're performing. Mm. And I, I can understand as somebody. I'm having to guess it because I've never, I've never done it. But sort of the kind of neediness of needing fans, but then having this kind of difficult relationship with the fans. But if, if they're not there you know mm. kind of difficult it, it, I just could imagine it's very complicated at times and can get quite strange well, yeah I mean I, I literally my fans stuck with me since then they're still 
coming to the gig on Wednesday, you know, it's, and they are it, you know, that they have to like, they've had periods like one of the, one of them sort of, they're in a band actually. Um, I really want to remember the name of the band, but um, Simon Bowen's name is, and um, I must get, the band is so great. They've just got a new record out actually. But anyway, they got in touch to say, um, they found me and they said that they'd written a song about me because they thought I was dead. They actually wrote a song about me as um, an homage to say, oh, I really like that singer. It's so oh, sad God, that she's really dead. You really want to hear that song, wouldn't you? Oh, God, I've heard it. <laughs> I've heard it go, now. Right. What's it called? Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I'll have, I'm so sorry I haven't got the information, but I said, and I got in touch with them and said, hey, guys, I'm not dead. Surprise. Like, I'm still here. Because <laughs> that was the winter of desire period because obviously I was having difficulties I kept writing and stuff but um yeah when I moved back to London after for the record deals and this the A-list life or whatever when I got there that's not what happened at all I had um a completely different experience and that's when I decided to just completely just walk away and go into this underground kind of scene of uh, spiritual recovery let's say yes. <laughs> Because on your website you do you do say this is this is kind of your life changed. Yeah. The breakdown of a significant relationship. Yeah, I think I did actually dedicate that album to Huck. Um because um So uh, was Huck still vaguely on the scene up till quite recently? Well Huck in the Winter of Desire, Huck became the Flaming Stars. I don't know if you've heard them. Flaming oh, yeah. Stars. Flaming Stars. Yeah, and um, Max Deshane is the singer. I did a bit of singing for Gallon Drunk on their yes, I albums. Guess I've done some interviews with those guys. Have you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we went. The, dr the drummer and. Um, really? His name, Ian, somebody. Um, Great drummer, such a good drummer. Yeah, he, I think he's worked with Lydia Lunch and. And such people, but it's kind of yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he was a delightful chap. Oh, right. he is. So he was, he was, oh, Max, yeah, Max Shane and singer. He got Joe Whitney on drums, Hawk was one of the guitarists. Um, and they were great, yeah. This he because so he went off to do that, and I and I, um, yeah, I did a bit of singing with Gallon Drunk, and I, I actually made some. My voice was sort of borrowed for some dance records, and but that's another thing. But then I literally, yeah, then I just it, it wasn't so much about the breakdown of the relationship, it, it was and it wasn't. It was just, um, I actually, I actually had an astrologer send me, um, this, this is a bit spooky. I'm not saying I'm into, into that, but maybe I am, I don't know, because certainly. <laughs> and they said that I had to sort of live off my karma from my past life in the first half of my life. And that I had to, I'd burnt it off and now I had to sort of stop and then rebirth and start a new life. That's <laughs> a lot to digest there, isn't there? It was, it was there's for lot, me there's too. There's a lot of words, I'm not quite sure if they, because I used to go through a lot, I went through a bit of a new age and all that hippie scene, which I kind of embraced with great enthusiasm in the 80s and 90s and, you know, still had a little bit of interest um, and, and then eventually... Yeah, find it's anyway. It's kind of interesting. Isn't I think it? I think you look for signs. Yeah. Yeah, and and I know. <laughs> I suppose it was when people like Darren Brown would often point out that we like to find 
patterns in chaos and then put some significant meaning on there. It's like perhaps it is just patterns in chaos or patterns in nature, chaos in nature that human beings need to have some more significance than there really is. And it's like, that's a good point, Darren. Perhaps that is true. I think I'll go for that. Well, there are many schools of thoughts, but I think you just have to take it how you genuinely experience it. And, um, yes. I, you know, yeah. I, I, my, my mind has started to change and I became fascinated by that. And so I sort of, that became my next project to understand what that was. It, and it wasn't... Um, Is that about you? So going back to that, did he or she, could have been a woman, say that you had to burn off your karma from your previous life? Yeah, like, so when I was born, I was already in this karma from yeah. the last life. Yeah, I got you. And um, I did actually have, like, quite a near-death experience, so round about the winter of desired period, but um, it's all in the songs anyway. <laughs> My God, I'm going back and really listening to them in more detail. <laughs> Jeezy, <crazy. laughs> I didn't know that was that was in there. Conscious, is that the one? Yeah, that's one of them. Thank you. Yeah. Is one of yeah. But which is the one about your yeah, okay, by me. Okay, that's interesting. I don't sing about the astrology, by the way. <laughs> no. You could do though. That's interesting. Take me to God little mystery. It could all be there. I might do it? next time. Yes. So yeah, because I had a just a briefly, I had a homeopath. I must admit I was a bit irritated because I was quite asthmatic and mm. still have asthma. And she said, Oh, I'll have to cure your your past life to be before we sort out this life. Oh, I see. And I was a bit irritated. I thought, look, Catherine, if you can sort out this one, I'll keep with you, and then we can work on the previous. But let's get this one sorted first. And she, she was a bit batty, and and I thought, actually, I can't cope with it. I really, I really need it now. And then if you prove you're good, I'll give you more money. But I'm not going to keep giving you money about my previous life. Because frankly, that's a bit of a grey area. And I'm not sure if I'm complete with it. And it's all right, alternative healing, if you're not ill. But if you're slightly ill and you want to get better and not make it just a, I don't know, a, a conversation at a dinner party, you just want to get on with it sometimes. But then at the same time, I noticed some people would develop allergies and he thought have you really got an allergy or you're just trying to be interesting at this party because it's you know I kind of got became a bit cynical I'm really sorry Did you? yeah because it was like oh I can't eat wheat because I bloat and it's like yeah but perhaps it's just eating too much bread you know you you haven't got an allergy <laughs> they try to make it that was an allergy and it's like I don't, it's not you're not going to die you just kind of want to tell me you don't want to eat bread, but now you want to eat bread because it looks quite nice. And it's like, now you're just being really needy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when you get a bit older, you know, those people are just like, oh, actually, you're just getting on my nerve now, mate. You know, just stop. <laughs> kind of. Anyway, that's I'm off the track here, aren't I? I it you, is a conversation. Just like, lots of emotion. Yeah. I'm going to have to go and talk to you. No, no, it is a conversation I can have, though, because, you know, I think... Um, there are a lot of inspirations for music, and he and they're they're not often the ones that are widely discussed. I mean, you know, when I I had to look, it was difficult being in a band, and you have to, you do have to make, look at your body a lot and think about your body, and you know, and basically, I if you, if you just you can't just drink and eat anything you want and, and get up and go on stage and sound great or whatever. No, it sounds I wasn't vain in that way but 
now it's all about the body. I mean, everyone has to look perfect, be perfect, work like a, a soldier, you know. And, I, and I'm not like that. But during that period, I did look at, I, I found a book called, um, um, well, I found several books. And basically, I did change all my diet. Oh, and it did good. shift. Yeah, and it Excellent. did shift the way I felt. Did and you it did affect my creativity. Gut. Uh, yeah. Your I did. Bio, your gut bacteria. Yeah, I did. We're I did. We're thinking about our gut bacteria now, aren't we? And eating. Yeah. Because yeah. I signed up. God, this is like an advert now, isn't it? But I signed up to something called Zoe, which was this guy Tim Spector, who's really into, you know, good gut. Um, oh wow! And that. That's wow. Quite, that's quite interesting. So you test your blood, and they test various other things. Yeah. And then they try and it direct you into what you you know should be eating more of to try and improve this. It's got this. This is really riveting into interview now, isn't it? We just got into diets. We're just we're just personal. We're just just having a nice little chat, and that's fine <laughs> by me. But it is good. Fine by actually, me. You know, you, you kind of your body will cope with an awful lot in your teens and twenties and possibly thirties, but one day it just goes. Oh, yeah. You, you got you know, it wants you a, it wants it craves change yeah, yeah. it does it's like you but I agree with that. you yeah I agree not to be too not not to be too neurotic as well because you know like I, I am an older woman and I absolutely love it and you know I've got marks and scars and my face has changed but you know the wisdom and in the material and and the excitement is is it, it it should be out there in the arena, and I know that, and I've got the confidence to do that. And it's not based on, oh, am I, you know, how old am I or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's just wanting people to hear a lived life, you know. like Surely there's room for a lived life in music. Yeah, and I think people are now showing that in, in sort of the popular rock you know genre of music in the yeah. old days, i don't think i mean everybody that we know now who is still with us which is amazing really you think you know, yes like it the is stones and the and paul mccartney and even members of the who you know are still they are the people who kind of were the original people of this kind of when they write the chapter about you know popular music you know it won't be it will, well a small chapter they'll just put you know the beatles stones and then you know there won't be that you know they won't have to go into great detail but you get it's like yeah. music. You, you know, it's like, well, these are the main people you need to listen to. And so, and they're still yeah. making music, aren't they? That's the thing. They're still up there doing it and yeah. embracing it. I know. I must admit there aren't quite so many women, I think. For, no, they're not. It is a, it's a pretty savage industry and career. I know Joni Mitchell managed to sort of sit on stage and sing a few songs recently, but... and yeah. But it's a kind of it's a horror, you know, it's a hard industry, and I mean, most people don't want to do it after a while, and I think most women, you know, yeah, but big breaks from it. But then when you yeah. look at the work of you know David Bowie, his last album Black Star, you know, he he deals with the ultimate kind of thing, which is kind of his death, which is gonna. He obviously knows that from the results from the hospital that things aren't good, and he makes this album, which is just like, oh my god, that's just unbelievable, you know, and. <laughs> It's chilling when you hear those lyrics, actually. It's I think that's the point, purpose of music for me, to sing about and write about and make art about what is, you know. And so if this is where I'm at, then that's what I'll make, you know, hopefully 
convey that with some courage. I can't, you know, if people find it sensual or attractive or worth listening to, then that's great. I mean, I think because I'm not, you know, I'm not overt, I'm not Madonna, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm an indie, I'm an alternative. Yes. I'm, I'm like an alternative offering, so it's not, it's not as essential, you know, to be um, to be perfect. Yeah, and actually, it's interesting because you mentioned Lush, and Mickey's brought her book out in the last couple of weeks about her life. Oh my gosh! Yeah, musical world and and uh, yes, and and what it was like. You know, I mean, it was kind of a half of the book is about her childhood, which is quite interesting. You know, it's really interesting, and then the joys of being in the band which is quite hard work and difficult <laughs> and um yeah. yeah and it and it never kind of ends that well does it really so um what well, the band the band never ends well does it really well you're dealing with yeah you're dealing with with precious with people precious yeah. cargo and then uh and lots of pressures from people who aren't the same as the people in the band no. who've got different agendas <laughs> I know this is very tricky. So, with the album "Winter of Desire," did you yeah. go in the? Did you have it all written out and went into the studio for a week and record it in in kind of one session? Um, this, I, I I did. I originally recorded it somewhere else, and um, and that was briefly released. That was sorry. That was released. There were a thousand copies made, and they sold. But when I came back to Birmingham, that that had gone, the recordings, I never really liked anyway. That period had gone. Yes. And um, when I came back to Birmingham, a collective of my friends did everything for free, gave me everything for free, gave all their time, studio time. Musicians joined in, produced it. Um, Dave Twist, actually, you've mentioned earlier, has just done that retrospective you spoke of yeah. design the album cover and and like they just got together with me to help me put it out because you know I am from that era of working together you know that's what I was used to we always did that right from the start and I think you have got that mentality I, I've looked at your you know looked at what you do and it, we're in it together if we, if we want if we want to keep um anything with meaning established and, and, and for it to have a profile, we, we have to do things together. Yes. And, you know, and that's what they did. So I've come back to Birmingham, they actually, and, and I think it sounds beautiful, and we went to um, a church in King's Heath and they were just set up, more or less a live set up in the church. And um, Paul Gray, his name was, recorded it, produced it. I've got so many people to think, and it came out. It's just it's a people project. God, that's so beautiful. That is I know. Beautiful, isn't it? I'm so moved, so moved. I mean, I've been away for so many years and, you know, I had no contact with the city and that, that was my first experience here. And I'm, they're all on that. On the, actually, that was my main purpose, purpose for doing a reissue and having it put out on a CD with a lyric book so I could just thank everyone on the sleeve. That's so nice. So with that album, the album, and then you've got this EP, haven't you? Venture of Belief, Volume 1. Oh, yeah. That's weird, though, because I created an album of songs for it. That's not that's not actually a very, like, that's a spooky story. 
that's something weird going on there. There's literally been so many thousands of pounds and hours spent on recording the songs for that album, and they've never gone right, ever. So I've had to pull it off again. But um, by the time I was working on Venture Belief, I was working with short film and had some film on the British Film Institute and film festivals and stuff, some short poetry films. And I've so I've written poet poems to beats and I did it all myself. It's great fun. And um I put there out that there's a little selection of those around. But the other half, the music half, is not currently available, sadly. I, I I'm gonna try go back into the studio with Cy Reeves, who's just produced true truths and material and have a go at doing them with him. Right. But they just refuse to be recorded for some reason. Yeah. But they're this venture of belief, this is available on Spotify, though, isn't it? The, that's the poetry album, right? The beat poets, beat po- poems to beats. The songs aren't available, right? I've yeah, got, yes. My God, that's so. My God, you're so busy at the moment. So yes, with Dave, Dave <laughs> Twist. This is this is because it's kind of you know kind of because Stuart Lee is one of these other people who seems to be a really <laughs> champion. The kind of Birmingham scene at the moment, and I think he he seems to have got sleeve notes on this kind of collection of uh, track, you know, of uh, quite obscure Birmingham sort of uh, music from from that period of the late seventies and early eighties. Oh wow, how lovely! That is oh, so Dave, nice. yeah, Dave's um, an incredible um, archivist and supporter of music, and yeah, yeah, he's probably. Good ideas have on your. I don't know if it, I don't if you just have front people on your band or people from all. Sorry, on your show. Or, oh, I have them all. Yes. Do I, you? I think I actually I've got an interview with Dave actually. So um. Yeah. I wish my filing was better. Really, sometimes, but never mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. So that I mean, you've got this album. Have you got any live dates as well? Um, I've just finished. You... Actually, I've been playing all summer, and I've got um one. At, on Wednesday, we're going back to the Rotunda because we, we did a live show on the roof of the Rotunda for Delicious Monster with Delicious Monster to release Joie de Vivre. So I'm going back. The the Rotunda have sponsored me and invited me to go and play a live lounge event for Truth to Material there on Wednesday. But it's completely sold. It's, it's, it's free, but all the tickets went because they were all... It was like a gift to my fan base and also to some of the people who feature in the film I've made of the same name because Truth Material is actually a short film. Yes. With music. It's not a traditional sort of album in that sense, but it's coming out, though, as, yeah, the songs are coming out separately. Oh, this is very exciting, isn't it? <laughs> I you, like it. <laughs> do you feel like you're on a sort of creative role at the moment? Does does things feel like they're sort of on to shift into another gear at the moment? Yeah, something, it's just the way it is. It's really strange. I mean, I've had a decade with just literally total silence, but for some reason, everything's, it's like it never went away. Everything's really happening for me currently. It's its just interesting. I think it's just to do with um, storytelling. That's what I believe in, David, honestly. I just think I'm telling stories. I've got stories from the past. And and obviously, it has to be good. People have to, have to think, well, yeah, I, like, I just like it. But I think the listening public has got the freedom to do that now. You know, 
your reference age a little bit with Kate Bush. I think she's 64 or something, isn't she? And she's in the charts or whatever. Yes, I know. But it's this, I'm not a Kate Bush fan. I'm sorry. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not against her, obviously, but I'm not like, um, I'm yes. not like championing it. I'm not, so it's not from that point of view. It's just the idea of the public choosing to like a song that's less focused on why they like it you know it's it's visceral it's the body responding and uh yeah i've got some good energy around me like that currently have you had your chakras balanced recently did you did you <laughs> go from some chakras I, i'm a chakra balancer i am the balancer oh yeah you are the balancer oh my gosh i've got some superpowers going on which i'll willingly share for free with anybody just come to a gig and feel the vibration Good, we like that. That's a good <laughs> You get a lot for your, for your back here, don't you want to gig? <laughs> yeah, oh, good. Oh, well, because you sort of, some language, some words you use, it's like, yeah, that's interesting. I've heard it's, it's, I think, I just believe, and I, I try to think what could be supportive to someone listening. You know, like, you can ask me anything about me if you want, but if you're creating something, you're out there in the world, or even if you're not, if you're just living your life, you know, sometimes it's just trusting in the process and it will comes to you when the time's right. Yes, absolutely. So what's your favourite season then? Where, where do you feel Ooh, most question in your life? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm an October baby. So I like I like walking around moody winter winter walks, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think after, so. So after the autumn equinox, but before yes. the winter solstice. I would say yes, yeah. I mean summer's nice, but I always feel a little bit overexposed. Like yeah. Sounds a bit strange, but it's like I can't be that bright all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's quite. It was quite relentless this year, actually. It was for different reasons. I think it was just because it was so hot, you know. So yeah, lots of squinting. So, yeah. So so then Wednesday, you've got your concert, and then yeah, we're we're sort of back, kind of making our nest, looking at candles, and um, yes, kind of. Yeah. So do you feel kind of inspired with more more sort of work on the horizon? Yeah, the plans are to let sort of truth material breathe a little bit go to a few film festivals you know have the music out there so people can get used to it and I've actually got to because I love the feedback as well you know I like people to let me know or just yeah what songs are gonna re- reach in with or whatever and then but there are two more songs to record for truth to material but what I'm gonna do is release truth to material on vinyl next year with these extra two songs. So it'll just be out there, breathing, living, touring on its own. I'm not going to sort of play it, play it live anymore. Yeah. Maybe one or two shows. Because um, the know. story with the with Truth to Material, this is... Yeah. It began 2015. And this exactly. is when return to the place of your birth, 20 years after... Exactly. You, and you find this photograph... Yes, so were you, that's exactly was, was there right. A kind of a sense of a kind of rebirth. Then, did you feel there was a sense of needing to revisit and to explore that, but as a different, a slightly different person? 
yeah, I felt I've had I'd had the rebirth and felt stronger and sort of more aware of being, of who I was. But there's just this constant shadow, this sort of slight sick feeling, like this low murmuring depression you could call it, or something was out of place. And it was with me the whole time I lived away, and I just I had no idea what was bothering me or troubling me. And um, and then I did realise um, I was living with someone living in London, you know, and got the, the sort of a life there and this and that. But um, something was wrong, and I realised that I sort of denied that whole part of my life story and personality for like for years. I don't think I even said I was from Birmingham anymore. You know, right. it was quite. Yeah. My God, that was like you in denial about your birth. I was. And not, I mean, I don't think against it, but I certainly it didn't fit anywhere. And I think, you know, I got quite a lot of, I've always got a lot of stick, really. People have got that thing about Birmingham, you know, whatever. But like even people, I'd like to say, people would say, oh, can I text an accent? Where are you from? And I'd say Birmingham. And they say, oh, oh. As if you know that's a shame type thing, like as if there was something wrong with it. Oh, yeah. shame, never mind. And I'd be like, and I started to get because my nature is like, tell me no and I'll do it. It's like, okay, do you is this something you want me to hide? Well, no, then you know, just no can do. So it became a sort of determination to, yeah, challenge that just to come yeah. back and go. Da, 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 I'm off, I'm going for a look, going yeah. off on my little journey. I'm off and yeah and I just found that photograph that did trigger me I thought god I wonder what happened to them and actually I wonder what's happening to the city and I didn't want to just um pop back though I, I wanted to immerse myself like live here because there's magic in the mundane there's it's everywhere so I wanted to really know the flow of the place yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's in, it's interesting, isn't it? That um, there's a lovely story which I read recently and, and listened to. It's Lawrence mm. from from Felt, and he was in in a band called Denim. And, yeah, and, and it's kind of in, sweet because there's a guy who's just book, brought a book out about the seventies, and it's you know he's mostly those songs which are really irritating that are quite well known. But then he talks about uh, Lawrence appears in this particular book, and he said actually Lawrence was the kind of inspiration for it, and and he wrote a song called the Osmonds when he was in the back Ooh, of Denham. And he, yeah. if you ever listen to the lyrics of this, it is so sweet. And but there was one bit, you know, because he's talking about. Um, the 70s and, and sort of appreciating it. I think it's because yeah. Lawrence had gone to New York and then sort of really missed uh, Birmingham, you know, was like, oh, oh that place. And then, oh. But then there was this story when he was young and there was like all the IRA bombings and there was that one in Birmingham. And in mm. those days it was, you got your information, you know, and when that happened, it, it just like came out like a ripple, you know, people just talking, you know, throughout yeah. the city and everyone knew somebody who'd been killed in that bomb and it's and he's and he's, he's written this oh. well he wrote it in the 90s but it, it really captures the 70s but also that kind of sense of you know what it was would have been like oh and yeah it's quite an amazing story but again it's that thing yeah that, 
that suddenly you kind of really appreciate your hometown when you sort of feel like you want to somehow deny it because, you, you know, it wasn't New York or wasn't sort of San Francisco. Yeah. It wasn't the right place in the right time. But then you think, it's fine. You know, you need to... One embraces these things after a while and just thinks... And let yeah. Go. I think letting go is always important, isn't it? I agree. And also I realised there was kind of, you know, I was in, there was some pain there that had to be addressed. You know, I'd, I'd left in a bit of a sort of, you know... Yeah. I'd gone off to live somewhere else, and I, I guess there were memories that, that were difficult to address. And I, I just, I like the idea of integrating um, all of it now. You know, you don't. I mean, you don't have to love a thing to respect it. No. But um, I don't love everything about it, and I do in any city because it's quite an unnatural environment, really. But I am a great. I've got this like passion for night walking in cities. And like a few of us do it, I'm not not a freak or anything. <laughs> in the scope, just walk walk around the city, and so I did a lot of that. I came back and just went for walks and asked people to go with me, and I just walked and walked and walked for a year, daytime and nighttime, and I, and the songs just just were collected really quickly. They just came up from, as I put it, the clay of yeah. the city. Yeah. I think was it is it referred to as psychogeography? Where <gasps> oh, you angel! Yes, I know. Will Self was doing this a lot as well at one stage. I'm not sure if he still does, but it was quite an interesting yes. thing. And I know yes. there was another artist called um, Oh my God, Richard Long, who did this oh. kind of walked across the well and uh, the country. But also, some friends did this. Um, they were walking. You'll love this bit. There was, you know, because, you know, they loved ley lines, you know, these kind of... Oh, areas, yeah, yeah. And then so they decided to go to Cornwall and then walk the St Mary's ley line that runs right through the country, Sal Salisbury. Glass yeah, Glass gosh. Glastonbury, then Stonehenge, and up to basically, I think it comes out near Great Yarmouth, King, um, Lowestoft, and and they mm. they took about three months to walk this, and and I think it's a, there is something really healing and quite powerful about walking. Yeah, so um, you, do, you do. Oh yeah, oh uh, absolutely. It started restarts everything it and you, stuff, it, it does it, it does yeah. you can hear all sorts of things ideas yeah. you can hear inner and outer experience yeah. more and it's also nice when you walk with people and you don't have to talk because you know it's not like you're yes. there, you know in a restaurant or a pub or somewhere but you can just be in kind of you know your own silence but you know it's yes and that's a really lovely feeling i love walking. intense it's so pleasurable it's intensely pleasurable yeah. i joined a group called the walking reading group uh, it was an art movement and you, in london and you they give you a reading of a, a book and then you go to the area where the book was in, that inspired by right or that's where the fantastic. where the author yeah. lived and part of it was just to swap partners and just but walk in silence. Ah, London in silent walk at night. Wow. Profound. Yeah. It's been amazing. Yes, I know. You see all sorts of stuff. And it's just yeah. and, and smells and feels. Oh, absolutely. It's quite magical, isn't it? Yeah. So if you could have said something to, like, your 16-year-old self, even if they ignored it, is there anything that you would have loved to have whispered into that, that <laughs> ear just to say, oh... 
think of mm. ideas or don't do that? Um, ah, gosh. Um, I think I'd like you. You're not as bad as all that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, I really always thought, the, like, you know, I was quite hard on myself. And um, you're all right. No, just... <laughs> yes. That's quite nice, isn't it? You kind of want to hug that person and say. Yeah. Just, you know, you, you're all yeah. right. Yes, you are. Yeah, I think that's nice, actually. Because you realise you make all those decisions and after some, there's a period where you feel annoyed with yourself making those decisions. But then Gosh, you think, yeah. oh, I didn't do my best when I was making that decision, even if now I realise that would have been... I could have made something else, but you know, you also need to hug that young person or any part, or any part of your life because yes. you're probably doing the best you thought you could. So, yes, thank you. I I really hope so. I, I do believe that now. Yeah, yeah, and just yeah, yeah, and I think to be kind to yourself as well, even now, but also the pe- the previous parts, the previous. Parts. Uh, yeah. Yes, it's yeah, important, the- isn't it? Put the world down, it can turn right without you. Like, yes, and I went to one of those Tony Robbins weekends, and he said, If you change your expectations for appre- appreciation, your life will feel like a miracle. And I was like, Oh, that's that's really nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, and you think, Yeah, it would feel like a miracle, wouldn't it, if you just had that kind of appreciation? Yeah. And, um, I think so, I think oh, so, yes. I think I've done that with truth to material, you know, like walking into the fire of uh, original prejudice or feelings of being feeling less than or, you know, I'm not as lucky as other people. Like I come from this, you know, and all these things come to you about aspects of yourself which you think you should keep hidden. And I decided to just face that tiger and just go into every aspect of myself that people would expect me to hide to look look best or whatever and uh, you know I was prepared to just because living dishonestly is is no solution for me personally and uh, I did it and but here I am talking to you today and things you know it's coming out it's beautiful I've met beautiful people while making it yeah got um, Johnny Kowalski on there on vocals and guitar as well he's also you know, quite a very interesting musician if if you have a look at his oh, stuff. Yes, and, I will. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's interesting who you start to um meet, attract in your life when you have those changes of consciousness. Because it's kind yes. of you become yeah. kind of aware, you think, oh yeah, this is quite interesting. I would have not met this person before. <laughs> yeah. And that's quite, yeah. And you think, well, yeah, that's that's kind of part of that process, really. And and people that you possibly used to meet that you think, oh, I'm kind of, I don't meet them anymore. That's quite a relief as well. Not in a judgment, <laughs> not in a terrible way, but you know what I mean? You think, yeah, I wouldn't meet them anymore because I don't, I wouldn't be attracting. I wouldn't be putting out that kind of vibrational energy. That's um, No, exactly. So there exactly. are some people that will sort of appear on your orbit and others you won't. But then you can feel free and relaxed and realise it's going to be all okay. Well, that's the wonderment. Keep wonderment in your life. And yes. Keep that was my plan forever. See, this is the great thing with the autumn. You can go outside 
not too late and look at the stars and the you know and the moon yes. and just connect and then you think wow that was that was a beautiful moment and um I actually feel so much better like from talking to you you're very healing. I wasn't expecting <laughs> this from an indie called yes, drop indie. DJ guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How lovely. I know. Well, look, this has been lovely. Look, if you want, I can always, when I put this out, I can always send you the link and you can always, um, you know, use it or, or whatever. Can I? Oh, that's absolutely fine. I'm not precious about it at all. <laughs> oh, thank so, you. Um, yeah, so that's that's absolutely, but it's been fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for the music and uh I've enjoyed sort of, yeah, listening to your work. So that's been Gosh, thank you. Thank you for your interest and finding me. It's brilliant. And um, yes, look, take care. And it's been fantastic. So thank you. Enjoy. Thanks, David. Awesome. And um, yes, enjoy the dark. It's all (laughs) enjoy the dark. Thank you. There is a great Leonard Cohen song, isn't there, which I can't remember the lyrics now, but you prefer it darker. That's it. That's it. <laughs> we all love that record, don't we? Anyway, look, take care of yourself and it's been really Thank lovely. you, David. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for everything. Bye-bye. And that was me in conversation with Rachel Mayfield, who um, has got various projects on, as we were just talking about. If you want to find her website, it is very straightforward. Just go to rachelmayfield.com. Also, um, she's on Spotify and I do believe on lots of other bits and pieces instagram do check out instagram we love instagram here don't we anyway a fantastic interview thank you ever so much for that and um, also if you want to contact me for some interesting but nice reason you can on facebook twitter instagram just do c86 show and um, all these have been archived on spotify itunes podbean it's true anyway have a great week stay safe